0: Welcome to Insights on Responsible Business, a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in a new era of uncertainty and stakeholder capitalism. Listen to business leaders discuss their challenges and experiences in becoming more responsible businesses towards an outcome that is better for all stakeholders, better for the long-term shareholder value, and better for society as a whole. Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright, formerly Head of Europol, with experience coordinating global operations against cyber, criminal and terrorist networks, and now a senior partner of Deloitte. And our guest today is Dr. Gene Butterschneider, the CEO of the Global Fund to End Modern Slavery. With over three decades of experience in the private sector, Jean retired from ExxonMobil the oil and gas giant, in 2013 when she was Vice President of Global Procurement. So she has deep experience in the private sector as well as in the NGO world, both happening simultaneously for many years. And over 25 million people in the world are in forced labor today, despite it being clearly illegal, clearly evil. In today's environment, what's the role of the private sector in ending it? Jean and Rob are here to
1: explore that with us today. A warm welcome to you both. Thank you, Rodney, and welcome, listeners. And welcome, Jean. It's a real pleasure to have someone today with such an impressive career-long business pedigree who's now throwing her energies into the field of human rights and specifically the cause of ending modern slavery. Jean, I know you have such a passion for this cause where does that come from within you? What is it about the nature of modern slavery you think that makes it so important to end?
2: Well, let me let me first say thanks for having me, Rob. It's great to be here. And I always enjoy talking with you and a real opportunity to share on this important issue. I, I think I'll start with just a little story. Um, I, I think, you know, I have this long uh, private sector experience. I'm still involved in the private sector as, as uh, a non-executive director and as an advisor. To companies and i had the real opportunity to get the experience in a wide variety of countries running a global operation really helped me understand complex problems but then in 2007 i was coming home from a business trip in angola um standing in the airport lounge at midnight and i noticed this young very young beautiful girl standing with an older man and it caught my attention immediately um it was midnight first class lounge young black girl older white male holding her by the uh, elbow. And as I studied the situation, um, she looked at me. I looked at her. She looked terrified. And I realized she had a wig and new clothes on. And I knew something was terribly wrong. So when I boarded the plane, as soon as I got on, I went to the steward and to to the pilot. And they said, ah, we see it all the time. There's nothing we can do. You can imagine my reaction to that. By the time I landed in London, I had called the airport, uh, the airline executives. I talked to U.S. officials. I had tried to scramble my team. I even uh, tried to reach out to a private investigator. Um, When I got home, I, I I continued that search. We never found her. But the look on that young girl's face seared into my brain. And at that moment, what you had was I was reacting as a business executive with this wide experience in problem-solving and analytical skills, and as a mom. So you had this expertise with the ferocity of a mother protecting her child, and that was a pretty strong motivation. And that was 2007, and it stayed with me since that time. I felt I could bring my business background to this fight and was also bringing an understanding of human trafficking to how I ran my organization.
1: Well, that's a sobering tale, Jean. Um, I suppose making vivid the true nature of modern slavery as it exists within our society today. I mean, the story, though, that you you retell there also says to me something about your personal courage, I guess. The leadership you showed at the time, drawing energy from the strengths of reserves from this, as you say, powerful combination of... The ferocity of being a mum with business experience, and that's an energy that's propelled you forward. I guess here you are now, running this global organisation, determined to end modern slavery as a trade. And I, I just wonder, you know, with all that experience in mind, here we are living through these extraordinary times, the effects of a pandemic throughout society. How is it affecting the problem of modern slavery? How, in what way, do you think right now is that problem getting worse?
2: Well, really, I want to deal directly with COVID, but before I do that, let me just give you a, a one minute flyby on on, on slavery, m- m- human trafficking, forced labor. It all comes under this umbrella of, of the term slavery. 40 million people enslaved, 150 billion in profits. That's a 12. 2012 number. It's probably more like a half a trillion second only to drug trade and now coming through the same lanes as drugs. 400 million with an M versus a B uh, 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 being spent by states in this fight. And when I came into this fight, I realized that it was fragmented, there were limited resources, poor data, and um, business wasn't engaged. And having run one of the world's largest supply chains, I knew that 70 trillion with a T of, of procurement spend would make this a fair fight versus that 400 million. And the 150 billion. So, I mean, Gene, the,
1: the scale. We'll come on to COVID in a minute because you're quite right to set set the scale in context. Our listeners will be very interested in it. Maybe surprised by those those figures that that you're coming out with. I mean that that this is a a huge global industry, uh, and and it must you know its effects must run far and wide, deep through different parts of society, and of course throughout the business sector.
2: So. I and actual fact, Rob, that number probably this is a hidden crime. It's a crime of economic opportunity. Um, it's a hidden crime. We just started collecting and agreeing on a number with the partnership of between ILO and, and Walk Free. That number probably underestimates the amount of people in this condition. Um, we're getting better and better at the fund. We're putting more and more resources behind being able to calculate and assess the risk of slavery. So that's an underestimate. As for the profits. Um, $150 billion is a motivator, but we know that's an underestimate uh, underestimate as well. And so at the fund, some of what we're doing is is trying to follow the money, trying to grab those assets, trying to make it harder. Um, and, and our mission is to make slavery economically unprofitable. Uh, so the combination of law enforcement, business engagement and and the financial sector going after those those profits is key. So I actually think it's an underestimate. Of what's going on in the world because it's such a hidden crime. And we've only started to scratch the surface of understanding it.
1: And following the money, I think is absolutely the right approach It's worked in, in fighting terrorism. I know from my own experience that I know that, that it's, it's working at least to a better effect in, in preventing large scale drug syndicates and others as well. So I think it's absolutely the right strategy. Listen, back, well, back just, to Co- just
2: to follow up on that, Rob, you know, if you think about slavery as a derivative of a lot of things, It sits at the nexus of organized crime, migration, national security, um, global business operations and the global pandemic.
1: Well, you talk about the pandemic. So why is it relevant right now? What effects are you seeing?
2: So we just kicked off uh, yesterday um, the COVID-19 Response and Recovery Fund because what we're seeing with the pandemic, it's really exposed the extreme vulnerabilities of the populations we work with. Right now, as we speak, migrant workers are walking hundreds of kilometers home from closed down construction sites in many Southeast Asian countries with barely enough food uh, and water for today or tomorrow. So we're seeing that. We're also seeing children at a heightened risk of online sexual exploitation. We just kicked off an initiative to to see what we can do technologically to manage the explosion and online exploitation of, of children. So there are two things right now that I think we're we're seeing. There's an urgent need to provide emergency support for our partners who are delivering food and hygiene supplies uh, to communities across these areas. Um, There's need for emergency financial support for those who've lost income and other critical services. But for your audience right now, the second piece of this is we must be able to help prevent and prepare. For the surge of exploitation that I think we're all going to see. We're really worried on the supply side. You have a collapse of economic demand and a lockdown of key industries in the wake of COVID, um, which is increasing the supply of vulnerable populations, which traffickers love. That's what they prey on vulnerable populations. And on the demand side, what we're very worried about and we want to get ahead of is once the restrictions are lifted and economic production resumes. There are real incentives for companies to rapidly scale up production and make up for lost uh, profits. And I think this is going to really create a demand pressure that drives exploitation and unauthorized subcontracting. Uh, Companies will really rely heavily on that informal network if you take apparel that's out there, knowingly or not. And I think we're at risk of exponentially increasing the risk of modern slavery in supply chains. Well, you know companies. from your,
1: you know from your former background, Gene, of uh, being a, a very senior business executive, how difficult that will be, right? Then for for industry, for companies to make the right choice, because they will face those those demands to to get the company going again, um, in in very very critical adverse financial position. But if they're forced to also notice that kind of reality. I mean, apart from you know wanting to do the right thing for society, what really will compel business to do the right thing here Why? Sh- why should it really matter in the end i guess
2: that's a great question well let's 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 sort of think that through for a minute first of all on the side that I don't really like to talk about, but it's important is compliance. There are a lot of laws out there that say you have to clean up your supply chain. Companies are meeting some of those, but it's they're largely transparency and 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 reporting requirements. But let's talk about the stakeholders, consumers. They want clean supply chains. And under uh COVID, people want reliable supply chains too, don't they? I mean we're beginning to see a crack in supply chains in a number of areas. So sub- consumers, brands are under more scrutiny than ever. Uh, they they need to be trusted. And if you're going to trust, you've got to have consumers who are going to buy your 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 goods. Um, you've got to have suppliers that need reliable supply chains, and you have to have governments in on this as well, lest you end up with regulations that make it more difficult. We're going to need to build resilience into supply chains, and I think they're cracking, and this has created a spotlight, and opening for businesses to step up.
1: And for that, that, that improves presumably the trust, uh, the trust that they can win of their consumers, of wider stakeholders, including regulators. Um, so, you know, as you've been committed to this cause, you've been, you've been talking to uh, business executives, some of your former colleagues maybe that you knew from your business world. does that Does that pitch and narrative really resonate that that this is about the trust agenda, this is about being a responsible business does that Does that get the vote these days, I think, in the minds of of CEOs and those that that influence uh, how, how industry works?
2: Well, th- here's my honest experience. Yes, the pitch is, yes, we agree we need to do something. The execution has fallen far behind the agreement with the pitch. They get that. And I think there are some probably if I step back and think for a minute, there are a lot of reasons for that. One is more and more companies have these long, opaque, complicated supply chains. They really think they don't know how to execute or prosecute those supply chains and look at them. That also they've done a lot of offshoring that has is correlated with that. And as they offshore production, it's been very difficult for them to to pull back. And they don't have a lot of data, um, uh, particularly with regards to proven practices, what might work, what would help. So I think they feel that they don't know what to do. They like the pitch. They're worried about opening Pandora's box. They don't have the tools they think, um, although I think they do, um, they don't have the tools necessary to really interrogate these supply chains. And then they worry about mitigation.
1: So what are these tools then, Jean? I mean, for for you know business executives listening to this, what can they do? What are the practical things that they can do to, to get a grip on, on the opaqueness of these supply chains, for example?
2: So... Um, Rob, you and I both in our large organizations, we run our organiza- organizations by risk. And every business that I know of has a process for assessing risk. You know, it's compliance risk, financial risk, operational risk, et cetera. And companies, I think, can currently use their assessment, um, their risk assessment process to 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 really understand their supply chains. Let me take let me give you an example. Um, shrimp exporters in Thailand are able to trace every final product sold in the United States back to the individual pond because they've decided that the risk of a health issue being identified and threatening their entire business is worth investing in that kind of granularity. We know that industries like fishing have significant incidents of forced labor uh, within their supply chain, but the presence of it, and even though 70% of those who were of CEOs that were recently surveyed in, uh, that responded to the UK Modern Slavery Act said they thought there was slavery in their supply chain. It had that urgency hasn't affected them. They can they can use risk when it affects their core business. They need to use those same kinds of tools um, as good indicators. Now, just as an aside, at the fund, there have been three or four big efforts to develop risk tools, uh, and they have failed largely because. Of having data by commodity, uh, data on slavery by commodity, by location, by supplier, and by corporate spend. So, what we've been doing is working with a private company, meaning the fund, what we've been doing is developing a predictive screening tool that will allow us to assess forced labor risk of suppliers in a supply chain. So, there are tools out there, um, they don't work as well as they should. Um, We hope by the end of the year to have a better one. But I think what's more relevant to this discussion is that companies have data analytical, they have big data, they have big teams of, uh, uh, of planning folks who do data analytics. And they have this operational data and associated analytics that could assist them in their supply chain. You put some of these smarty pants planning associates On this, they'll get to it. Let me give you one example that we're working. Um, Apparel factories in developing countries often operate in a low-tech, low-value-add model, and the model has low cost of entry, and there is considerable prevalence of forced labor, often driven by the fact that demand is often higher than capacity, which is going to be even worse now coming off of this pandemic as they ramp up. And then price pressures. So given this environment, we are are looking at some factory data, and we might be able to use predictive analytics to estimate the expected production from a factory based on the number of employees they have, assumptions about productivity, assumptions about overtime, and compare it to the actual export from that factory. And what we're finding in the Delta is that they are exporting more than they should be producing by a substantial amount. And there sure.
1: are, presumably, Gene, there are examples like that in, in, in different parts of, of that sector, but in other sectors as well. My point is, as I know maybe from, from other, uh, other areas of work, there is huge data potential in, in what companies uh, can do. And in, in terms of, of using the knowledge, the latent knowledge that are in their data systems to positive effect. And, and here's an example that you've given. But presumably, they can do a lot more in this data-centric world in trying to get on top of modern slavery than, than is currently being applied.
2: Yeah, I would challenge the listeners to come up with a great idea, shoot it our way, and we'll try it. Uh, because they, they have the capability, the folks on their plan, in their planning organizations, the dashboards they have in their operating units, they can see this.
1: They have the possibilities, but what they need, I guess, Jean, is the leadership behind that or, or above that, of course. And we, I guess we need more people like you—you you know, more people with these inspiring stories as to how and why you came into this into this fight. And then, you know, within a few hours, here you were scrambling a bunch of resources and people in London. I'm sure they they must have thought it was was hitting them here. Some some businesswoman arriving, demanding that they take so many corrective actions. But that's business leadership, I guess. And are you getting? You know as we you know bring this podcast discussion to a close, Gene, how optimistic are you about the state of that business leadership right now in terms of really committing to this cause of ending modern slavery
2: we We were beginning to see businesses come into this fight, um, accepting the pitch as I said earlier, but not really doing as much as we hope, but we're beginning to see some of that. We now have a huge Window of opportunity coming off of the the hopefully coming off of uh, of the pandemic. But leadership, business leadership is absolutely going to be key. We need senior managers. We need CEOs taking bold public stances, um, building and building organizational culture. I, I, I see um, CEOs talking about committing to this. But when I go into those organizations, do they have an organizational culture? Do they have a code of conduct? Do they have senior management reporting, just like they report on environmental and safety and operations? Do they report on human rights abuses every month when they talk to their CEO or to their board? Do they train their employees so you have a cadre of of frontline observers out there as you train them? So that's the difference. It's not just giving a speech. It's creating organizational culture that empowers your entire organization to be in this fight.
1: Well, I think our listeners... Um, you know, should heed the energy and the, and the enthusiasm that you have and the, the great experience that you've garnered from your, from your career here. And it's always great to, to listen to you, Gene, and to talk to you. Thank you for being uh, such a, a wonderful, inspiring guest for our listeners this week. The impact of COVID-19, including its painful effects for millions of families around the world, has stirred many emotions within us and stirred the business business community into concerted action in so many ways. As we've heard today, the cause of ending modern slavery, a multi-billion dollar global blight on society, also leaves a heavy mark on humanity, and on a more ongoing, consistent way, perhaps, than any pandemic. Here, too, business has a leading role to play in the cause of ending it by taking leadership, as we've heard, working together across industries, governments, charities, and applying good risk management principles, taking actions to improve, especially the integrity of supply chains. Well, that's a tall order, maybe a big challenge for business, not least when faced with very difficult choices as they emerge from the COVID effects into a post-COVID recovery phase. But in the end, it's about leadership and it's about the trust of their brand with consumers, and in society. In the end, it's about responsible business.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and that you'll tune into to our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using, and find out more on Deloitte.nl. We'll see you in our next episode.